Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, a pure vibranium shot straight to the dome. Straight to the dome. But it has to be vibranium, otherwise it doesn't get through the force field, right? Well, it has to be vibranium for sure. Because if it's not vibranium, then... Or maybe unobtainium. I'm not familiar with that one. That's from Avatar. Different. I'm, I'm changing genres here. Okay. For Avatar, it was unobtainium. Unobtainium? Yes. Are you sure that's not uh, Ebonics right there? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's in the movie Avatar. <laughs> unobtainium. And, or... or Avatizar. Avatizar. The, or it could be adamantium, which is back in the Marvel Universe, which I believe is... Black Adam? Um, is what? Black Adam? I don't know who that is. Isn't there a Black Adam coming out? I think it's Black Adam. And I think The Rock is playing Black Adam. Am I wrong about this? Um, I'm not I'm not familiar with that. I is think this, so. Are we still talking about Marvel Universe comic movies? We're, we're definitely talking comic books. I'm not sure if Black Adam is in the Marvel Universe or not, but okay. I, I'm pretty sure The Rock is playing... Black Adam. Okay. Now I don't know who Black Adam's peoples are. I guess I, I guess I fall into that category. Um, <laughs> Father Adam. Okay. Well, right on. I'll have to check it out. It is a nice day on the tech deck. It was raining in Southern California, actually, and in Northern California, along the entire West Coast. But as is always the case, after the rain, it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous. It is a beautiful day. Reminds me of a Sting song. After the rain has fallen, after the tears have washed your eyes, you find da da da. It's one of the more recent solo projects from Sting, a couple albums ago. Okay, because I'll admit that maybe my Sting kind of stopped maybe sometime in the 90s. Can't stop the Sting. Which is unfortunate. I love Sting. Bu- buzzes forever. Bzzz, the buzz still continues. <laughs> I, I love Sting. I, I was listening to. The um, Bring on the Night Live double CD. One of the best albums of all time. And it was it's fantastic. And it was, Brant, Brantford Marsalis killing it. Exactly. Killing Joe it. Brantford. I think David Sanctious was on the on the keys for that one, I believe. So yeah, his more recent stuff I have not had a chance to explore. Even though with the new Dune movie coming out, there have been a lot of Which I saw. Oh, you you've seen it. I saw it. Okay, I, I, I really do want to go see it. I want to. I, I guess, didn't see it. I didn't see it in the movie theater. I saw it on HBO streaming at the at the Crisib. <laughs> because there've been a lot of comparisons to like the the David Lynch, you know, the old the the '80s one where it was like Sting, which, which I never saw. Which I never. I I think I saw it, but it was probably. I, was probably, I think it's just a comedy trope at this point. It was one of those things to where I believe I saw it, and I was probably in a slightly altered state, maybe having had a beverage or two. I think that was just Burning Man, I think. Oh, that was a whole different thing. <laughs> that was a different, kind of like Dune, but that's a whole different experience, a fantastic experience, but totally different. Mm-hmm. But the reason I bring it up is because it's like Sting and like a metal bikini kind of thing. I'm not sure if it's Sting channeling Princess Leia or what, but it's one of those things to where that Sting was... Sting channeling Prince? Maybe Sting Chandler Prince. I, I, I speak about Prince with absolute reverence. Absolute reverence. Because I, I'm on record as saying that brother was the baddest. Baddest mofo ever. There was a great meme that was going around that showed a picture of him saying... Great meme Great, great meme There was a great <laughs> meme going around that showed a picture of him saying there's only one man who could be... who could have a perm, wear a ruffled shirt, mascara... Poop earrings and steal your woman. And that's Prince. Or Little Richard. Or Little Richard. Now, Little Richard didn't necessarily want your woman. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. That's a whole different thing. But Prince could do all that and just like swoop in and just be like, she's gone. Baby, I thought you loved me. I do, but it's Prince. <laughs> exactly. You have to understand. I can't help myself. So I'll, I'll get caught up on Sting. I'll get caught up on Dune. I gotta get caught up on a lot of things. I need to be more in tune with pop culture media. I've got to get my HBO Plus. HBO Plus, yes. HBO Plus. Okay. And I, I enjoyed it. I didn't see the original. Haven't read the book, and so I had no preconceived notions of what it was about or what it was supposed to be. I can tell that you haven't read read it because it's books. Plural. Okay. It's books. many, many, many long books. So the series is called The Dunes' Is? The Dunes' Is? No. Okay. Uh, Frank Herbert, Dune. And 
I'm not, sure, I'm not sure you could even fit the first book into two movies. Well, they have announced the sequel, so there is a sequel that's coming out in 2023. So, but the books, I, I read them when, when, back when we were all in high school. I was a deep science fiction nerd and read, I don't know how many books there are, but I've, I feel like I've read at least four of them. And I was reading sports autobiographies at the time. Yeah, I, I had my head when I wasn't. And comic books. When I wasn't reading comic books or with my uh, tinkering with my Apple IIe, it was it was science fiction books, and Frank Herbert Dune was like one of the deep ones, and so I'm excited about the about the movie, and so I'm going to look forward to, to seeing it. Speaking of which, you were telling me about a couple of things that were going on. One of which is a new book that came out by my favorite sister sci-fi author. NK has a new book. Actually, it's not a book; it's a comic series. Comics or books? They are, but. Call me, N.K. N.K., please call him. Please, please, please call him. My wife and I want to have you over for dinner. Please call him. So she has, she has a new comic out, a new graphic novel coming yes. out. Even though I guess it's a serial, so I guess you can call it a comic book, but it's still a book. And I remember you sent me the link to it. It's the Green Lantern, right? Yes. In fact, a summary of it is that... Or it's certainly Green Lantern power. No, it's actually the Green Lantern. So it's, it's part of the DC Universe. And the summary is that for the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Moline has been protecting City Enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about to change in this new limited series that gives a DC young animal spin to the legacy of Green Lanterns. Love it. I'm excited to read this. Go ahead, NK. We love you, NK. And NK, would you please call him, please? The interesting thing about the Green Lantern is the Green Lantern as a, as a series in the DC universe was, I believe, one of the most inclusive or still is one of the most inclusive superhero franchises out there because the whole idea behind the green lantern is that you know the, the green lantern isn't necessarily one single person is that many people can be part of sort of this larger green lantern i say in quotes fraternity in the sense that you That's can be green lantern power right exactly and so once you you know once you are affiliated once you become a green lantern doesn't matter your race, your gender, your your species. All of them can be you know, a Green Lantern, essentially assigned to certain planets, certain areas. And it's a really fascinating sort of piece of the DC universe. Well, I'm going to take my assignment in Wakanda. I'll be relaxing on the beach at the timeshare. Sky is lantern. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. Sky is green. Lanterns are green. Sky is lantern. That's, exci- that's an exciting book. I mean, I'm looking forward to that. It's, it, and I think it's an interesting departure for her because mostly she's you know, written you know, books and, and, and novels and, and short stories like the one that, that prompted me. She's doing that literacy thing. That literacy thing. Books. <laughs> Read a book, kids. Read a book. And you can also pick up her book from the Recollect Bookstore. Yes. Shameless plug for our bookstore. It is an absolutely shameless plug for our bookstore, but... We'll put a link to it in the show notes. And so if you want to get the book, just go over there, purchase it. And what's nice about it is that it does help support local bookstores. Our it does. Our affiliate bookstores. So it's not... Shout out to Essawan Books. Essawan. We'll put a link to Essawan in the show notes as well. But seriously, the good thing about our bookstore is that it's actually a curated thing. If you're looking for Pan-African history and culture, Sky's Black content... We're going to have it for you at the Recollect Bookshop. It's very cool. It's very cool. All the books that we reference, in addition to finding them on the show notes, you'll be able to find them there. Yes, indeed. Just as a quick aside, TED, we're all familiar with TED. Technology Education Design Mm -hmm. Conference. So TED has a global live stream that is happening on October 30th. That's like coming like up instantly. Well, and depending on when you listen to this episode, it's coming up four years ago. (laughs) But we'll have a link to it and it'll hopefully be recorded. So that way, even if you missed it live, you'll be able to circle back to it. 
we're, we're huge Ted fans. And this particular event, again, on October 30th, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, is about laying out a credible and realistic pathway to a net zero future. I think that's fantastic because a net zero future meaning essentially zero waste. Yes. Zero waste where you know energy consumption is all renewable to where you know we're able to live in a more sustainable manner. Some of the people who are going to be at this event, Don Cheadle, Al Gore, Rini Mara, Dave Matthews. I'm a huge Dave Matthews band fan, just FYI. Seen them in concert a couple times. Right on. Um, shout out to Carter, one of my favorite drummers in the entire world. Right on. Um, but anyway, Dave Matthews will be there. Joaquin Phoenix, Mark Ruffalo, Forrest Whitaker, Rain Wilson, and others. And so I'm glad that our quote unquote influencers of the world are using their energy and using their platforms for this particular cause. They may not realize it, but they're helping to pave the way to Wakanda. And I think TED is a great organization. It's one of those things to wear. Fabulous. I think all of us would do well. The great thing about TED, the TED conference is that every session is less than half an hour. It's like 18 minutes long. I love them. And so what's great is that you can go onto their website, TED.com, T-E-D.com, and you can learn something. Yes. You can change some part of your life and it's one of those things to where even if you make a small change, a small inflection in the in the, in the direction that you want to go in, you know, it's a mini pivot, a mini pivot. If you did that even just once a week, watch a TED video on some subject. It's quite possible that next year I'll be watching one every day. I, I did that for a period of time. I said, I'm going to watch a TED talk every day and it didn't last very long, but I may do that again in 2022. My daughters are always asking me, daddy, can we watch television? It's like, okay, you can watch PBS. Can always watch PBS and can always watch a TED talk. We did the same thing. We would, when my son would say he wanted to watch a video, there was a great, relatively short series that Michelle Obama had where she was reading storybooks, children's books. And my children are younger than yours. And so we loved that. It was one of those things to where my son, this was like, I guess it was maybe a pandemic lockdown thing where she was reading various different books. She read The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar and a few other ones. That's a classic. And it was great because my son would be just transfixed there on the television listening to Michelle Obama and watching her read a, a storybook. There are a lot of local children's museums or science museums across the country that, that do this. Kidspace. Uh, yes. You, you stole my thunder. Shout out to Kidspace. Kidspace here in Pasadena is a fantastic children's museum and they have a program every year where you can... If you're a member, I think they give you one caterpillar, or you can also buy additional caterpillars for painted lady butterflies. And we've done this. I'll see if we can post a picture on Instagram or something of what we did this last spring, where we got a couple of these butterflies, a couple of these caterpillars, and you keep them and you watch them, and they'll and they'll and it's an amazing thing. It is amazing, and it's one of those things to where you you look at it and you're like, it's an incredible this that this works, right? So you have these three or four or five caterpillars and they're kind of like crawling around doing their thing and they the kit comes with like a little dish of i guess agar or something that they eat and then they kind of go and they crawl off and they hang up their own little make their own little chrysalis it's amazing and then you wait like a week or two and you have to put like an orange slice or something for when they come out and then suddenly a butterfly pops out and you kind of keep them you want to be kind to the butterflies let them fly away and what's great about that is that now when, even this is months later, the butterflies don't have that long of a lifespan. But my son, when he's out in the in, out here on the tech deck, out in our backyard, if he sees a painted lady butterfly, he'll say, is that one of ours? That must be one mm-hmm. of ours that, mm-hmm. that came back to visit. I mean, it's so nice. sweet and nice. it's so nice. nice. And what a great example of nurturing and learning more about life and learning about more about nature. As you hear the birds here chirping in agreement, it's an amazing thing to experience. So, yeah, shout out to Kidspace. And for you, dear listener, these TED videos can change your life. You know, one somewhat silly example is a TED video that talks about tying your shoes. And we all, when we were little kids, my son's in kindergarten, he's just now learning how to tie his shoes. And he will probably teach his sister too. And he will. And it's one of those things though that apparently we've all been tying our shoes wrong. Because we've all had the situation where your shoes are tied and then you're running or you're doing something else and your shoes become untied. And this TED video will talk about the right way to tie your shoes. 
so they don't so the knot won't slip. And for those of you who already know this, good for you. But for me, I was, you know, this was a uh, maybe three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, a grown man. Some would say a grown ass man. Yes, I, I had that. I muted. I muted <laughs> myself out for that. I know you did. <laughs> I was gro- but, I, but I got your back though. Yes, thank you for in, for in all the wrong ways. Thank you. Thank you for keeping <laughs> it real for me. Yes, but I was a grown man when I learned to tie my shoes. Mm-hmm. And why? Because I watched a TED video that was like, here's the right way to tie your shoes. It wasn't even 18 minutes of like how to tie your shoes. It was more like three minutes. So but apparently I have some homework this week. You have some homework. Learn to tie your shoes properly. And and it was actually truly changed my life because suddenly you're not having to like, oops, let me stop and tie my shoes. And I can't tell you how many times I prior to, to learning this, I'd be, you know, walking in towards a business meeting. And my shoes would get a little loose and I'm like, you know, it's an uncomfortable feeling. And so I'd stop, tie my shoes. Stop, tie my shoes. And so tie your shoes the right way. Ted video. Very nice. I will do that this week and report back next episode. See if I can learn how to tie my shoes correctly. Ted.com. The NAACP. Did you hear about this? That they are getting into equity partnerships. Let me read this to you. In an unprecedented move, NAACP partners with venture-backed technology company Hello Alice to support NAACP's proactive mission of improving the lives of African Americans and their communities through increasing economic opportunities and building generational wealth. Generational wealth. That is so important. And being proactive. So this is very interesting to me. And that's a, and that's a great night. And you hear it all right now during the whole pandemic. Everyone talking about how they're they're pivoting. But for an organization that's been around since 1909, really ostensibly advocating for civil rights, I think that the next level is generational wealth. The next level is helping to eradicate, you know, the the racial economic disparities that are present. The huge wealth gap that has actually grown in the last 30 or 40 years, actually. Exactly. And so... It's, which, is, it's, which is mind-boggling. But anyway, go ahead. We'll talk more about Hello Alice, but, but one of the interesting things about that is that there's a high level of participation in the black community with Hello Alice. And it's really great because that's it's essentially sort of this multi-channel platform to help businesses launch and grow. Yes. And so by partnering with them, it allows black businesses to to begin and to thrive and to you know create take advantage of the, of the wonderful ideas that our community puts out there recycling black dollars we are all about it and to be clear all about it and to be clear we're not anti anybody allies to everyone allies to all and yet and yet i think there's value in if you're a member of the black community support black businesses it is i would say a cultural requirement people will disagree with me on that but they would be wrong it's a cultural requirement to support black businesses and part of it is simply a little bit of the golden rule do unto others as you'd have them do unto you and and so if you and i will admit my i have a bias i have i have a small business i'm a big advocate for small businesses and so if you have a small business and you're a person of color, you want people to support you. Therefore, you should support other small minority-owned businesses. Absolutely. And so because that way it, becomes, it creates this virtuous cycle. I mean, I'll admit, I'm sure at some point, if it hasn't happened already, at some point today, an Amazon box will go thunk on my doorstep. I'm not saying that you can't participate in, in, in that marketplace. I almost tripped on my Amazon box walking out of the door. Yes. And as an aside, Amazon's actually a, a great marketplace for finding a lot of black-owned businesses because they do participate in that market. That is true. But even beyond that, by supporting small local businesses, you're able to participate and have the, the money be recycled in your community. For example, we're drinking our lovely warm beverage from My Place Cafe. And it's almost gone, and I'm very sad about that. And, and, what are, and what are you drinking today? A white chocolate mocha? White chocolate mocha. And, and, and I'm rocking uh, a chai, which is amazing, 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 amazing. 
She has a really good sweet potato cake that's like delicious. And they're bringing in some new pastries as well. She she mentioned a, a crumb cake that she said was off the hook. I did not get it, but most likely it's in our future. The sweet potato cake is, is already on the, on the top of the hill for me. So she's going to use that money to help not only not only pay her people, but she's going to be supporting the local bakery that makes that, that crumb cake or that yes. sweet potato cake. Yes. The people that she's hired, the lovely baristas that are there that are making those coffees, mm-hmm. when she pays them, they're going to go and they're going to be buying their groceries from the local grocery store. They're going to be uh, participating you know, in the local economy. But I mean, the point is, is that when you buy from a local business, and I'm saying the obvious, but when you buy from that local business, especially if it's a local sort of non-chain business, mm-hmm. then almost all the money is going to stay in your local community because Absolutely. because they all have vendors, they have employees, and all the money that, you, that you're putting in there is going to get distributed and stay within your region. It's going to, so it's going to help lift your local economy. Recycling black dollars. So it's not really an either or, but more a yes and. A because, both and, yes. Because your, your, your Amazon box can still show up. Absolutely. I think so, yes. It's not an either or, it's a both and. And I still say that it's a cultural requirement for people of African descent to support black businesses, not necessarily exclusively. The CEO of the NAACP put it, I thought, very nicely. Quote, to champion true racial equity, we need to address the longstanding economic inequality that has left black communities underfunded and undervalued for centuries. And that's what this is all about. When we talk about recycling black dollars, it's really helping erase that, helping, not really erase, but helping to remediate the long-standing economic inequalities. Equity. I own a piece of America, and I want America to succeed. I want the planet to succeed. I have an equity stake in those issues. And that right there, dear listener, if you're not a member of the black community, that's why it matters to you. It matters to you because we're all in this together. I harp on this a lot. I talk about how my favorite word in the name of our country is united. I like the word united. And there's a little phrase that goes around. People talk about, they'll say, hey, you know, that guy, when they're talking about someone who's a little like a little out there, a little off, it's like, that, that, that dude or that gal is not hitting on all eight cylinders. So if you're not hitting with all eight cylinders, each cylinder represents 12.5%. Is, is one of eight. One eighth. The black population is 13.4%. Boom. So if the black population in America is suffering, is struggling, then we as a country, we're not hitting on all eight cylinders. Tick, tick, boom. And I would say if you're a jingoistic America, F yeah, if, if you're like you know, waving your flag and doing all that, you want America to hit on all eight cylinders. Yes, otherwise, otherwise, what are you waving your flag for, right? So if you want America to hit all eight, all eight cylinders, then make sure that all the cylinders are working. There's a powerful image. And I give a shout out to Shabir because we have talked about this a couple different times. There's a very powerful image from the 60s of a protest or a, a march and an African-American person being pummeled with the American flag. It is a extremely powerful image. I'll see if I can find it and provide a link to it in the show notes. That might be uh, black history like in just in one picture. It is. It's an incredibly powerful image. So why would someone be waving their flag? Hopefully in celebration of us all, in celebration of a true United States. But sadly, it's often used as a weapon against those defined as others. But all you're doing is shooting yourself in the foot. All you're doing is creating a problem for yourself because going back to my initial metaphor, if something is not hitting on all eight cylinders, the engine's not working properly. It's not, it's not functioning. You're not going to get where you want to go as, as fast or as efficiently as you, as you ought to. And so I would say that, you know, why should you care? Why should we all care about why, how 13.4, one-eighth, just one cylinder mm-hmm. would be 12.5%. So we're talking even about more than one cylinder being, being out of whack here. Right. And, and so that's the thing. 
to me, you know, it's really exciting what the NAACP is doing with Hello Alice. And you see, and this is one example of many areas where, especially during this season of racial reconciliation, of I would even say rejuvenation. Let's hope. Let's pray. That you see. We've had rays of sunshine like this in various ways in the past. It hasn't always led to a bright and shining new day, but let's hope that it does. I'm an optimist. I'm an eternal optimist. Amen. And so to me, you know, with this emphasis, this ongoing almost sea change emphasis towards demand for justice. Yes. Demand for justice, but also not just judicial justice, but justice in terms of economic justice, justice in terms of justice of, of opportunity, of equity. To me, I think that this is, this is exciting stuff. It is very exciting stuff. And I'm now at the end of my beverage, which makes me extremely, extremely sad. But it's actually so good that I'm actually going to make an announcement about this. The beverage that I hold in my hand is now henceforth and forevermore the official Sky is Black Hot Chai Tea Latte. Give it up for MPC. Yes, 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 yes. Because I'm telling you, this thing is absolutely, absolutely delicious. In fact, it's too delicious. But now I have drinker's it's, it's, remorse. It's strangely delicious. I mean, what we all know delicious, but this is like a different strain of deliciousness. We are in California. It could be legal, whatever might be in there. My theory, personally, is crack cocaine. Because there's really no reason why I should be fiending for this beverage so much. I mean, I should not be scratching my face and clawing my neck and hugging my back and shoulders talking about MPC chai. Give me my MPC chai. Got to be crack cocaine. Or maybe it's just all the love and care of the baristas. The love and care of the baristas. But anyway, it, it is absolutely delicious. I am sad to be at the very end of this cup, but it is now the official Sky's Black Hot Chai Tea Latte. It's that good. So you were talking about your daughters. They're, they're, they're young. I always do. And no, it's fantastic. And have you heard about this, this team's genius squad with Ava, the STEM princess? Yes, I love that. And she's an eight-year-old girl. I love it. Ava, the STEM princess. And she's been producing all these great videos mm-hmm. on STEM. Team genius squad. Science, technology, engineering, math, STEM. And she's had over 650,000 views and 70,000 subscribers from across all the major social media platforms. Go ahead, Ava. And so we love it. And it's one of those things to where, you know, hashtag black girl dad, right? Yes. And so I think it's an awesome opportunity, especially as we've all been sort of, you know, locked in, you know, in our, in our various lockdowns due to COVID. You know, she even did a, a video on how to make your own hand sanitizer. Learning about science, having this truly princess mm-hmm. be out there. I just want to give a shout out to her. Go ahead, Ava. We, we love it and we're excited to see see what you're doing. So teamgeniussquad.com yes. for, for Ava, the STEM princess. Go ahead, Ava. Woo. Let's see what else we have cracking. So Nigeria is launching its own I don't want to say cryptocurrency because it's not technically cryptocurrency. It's a digital currency. It's a digital currency. The E-Nera, I think is how you pronounce it. I'm not positive. I should know more about my Nigerian currency because it's quite possible that I'm actually from Nigeria or Benin or Ghana or Senegal or any one of those places along the West Coast. Very likely. Very likely. So I should know Nigerian currency better than I actually do. Note to self, collect some Nigerian currency. Because my assumption is that it will be recognized in Wakanda, I'm, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. All currencies are rec- recognized in Wakanda. Including sneakers. Including sneakers. But anyway, so the, the currency is blockchain, but not crypto. Blockchain secured, but not technically a crypto because it's actually illegal in Nigeria. Well, you can have a legal currency that's a cryptocurrency. I mean, Bitcoin is is legal tender in Costa Rica. Right, but it's not legal tender in Nigeria. Correct. I think the difference is that by being a digital currency and using the blockchain for for secure access and for transactions, 
cryptocurrency is essentially, and I'm oversimplifying, cryptocurrency is essentially a euphemism for currency that you can generate on your own, where you can quote unquote mine the currency by contributing to the solution to a mathematical equation. You can you can create more of this currency, whereas the Nigerian currency is one that is essentially minted, if you will, by the Nigerian government. Right, and, exactly. And so it's a, a blockchain-enforced, once again, I'm oversimplifying, but a blockchain-enforced digital currency that's being used as legal tender. And I think that that's, I think ultimately that's the future. I mean, whether or not Bitcoin is a thing 20 years from now is unknown. Well, we know that our digital currency will be in effect 20 years from now. Or 20 years after we instantiate it because we haven't done that yet. Instantiation or no instantiation, 20 years from now, we're still in effect. Sky is black coin. I love it. It's unknown if Bitcoin will still be a viable thing 20 years from now or if it will be one of those things that people look back and say, oh, back in the in the 20s, you know, remember when Bitcoin was a thing? Remember when the pet rock was a thing? And so that's unknown. That's why I know that you're going to be a millionaire because of the pet rock. Because of the pet rock. Well, I've got a lot. Out here on the tech deck, we've got a lot of rocks. So I've, and a few of them are, are pets. And I don't say that facetiously. I mean that factually. So I got, if, if somebody can make a million dollars off a of quote unquote pet rock, there, there's no excuse. That's true. So it's unknown how it's going to play out with Bitcoin in particular or any of the current cryptocurrency coins. However, I do believe, looking to the future, that blockchain technology or you know things similar to it will be a way of securing financial systems and a way of allowing for small-D democratization of currency. And I think also it will make for easier transactions. I mean, it already is. And so I, I applaud I applaud Nigeria for, for taking that step into the future. It's, it, in, in some and, ways... And I think Ghana is doing the same. And I think that that is an example of where these, quote, undeveloped, unquote, nations can actually take a leap into the future. But you'll see that in a lot of those countries... Mobile first. Exactly. That's exactly where I was going. You know, they don't have all the the telephone poles and the wires and, and everything else strung up, you know, all that physical infrastructure. And so they go mobile first. And so everyone has a cell phone. And it's a, it's much easier to deploy a wireless network, right. much faster, much more nimble to deploy a wireless network. And so suddenly, you know, vast population parts. And so suddenly you end up having large chunks of the population with cell phones and, and, and a higher per capita adoption rate of cell phones because it's easier to have that. And so I think that taking that leap where you don't have necessarily a lot of the same long-standing financial institutions that have sort of their own inertia towards these things makes it easier to, to make that leap. Agree. <laughs> We're going to take a little break when we come back. We're going to talk about metamorphosis, metamorphosizing, meta, metamorphosis. Sky is black. Metamorphosizzle. Sky is black. The first annual Pan African Food Festival will arrive in the summer of 2022, and for the first time ever, diners will enjoy a true Pan African table with food and wine from places like Ethiopia, Jamaica, Morocco, New Orleans, Nigeria, Atlanta, Belize, New York, South Africa, Cuba, Brazil, Haiti, Kenya, Barbados, London, Egypt, Ghana, Senegal, and Puerto Rico. Every premier chef of African descent, along with restaurant owners, authors, bartenders, food critics, even YouTube stars, will be invited to participate in the tastiest, spiciest, most down-home and delicious food festival there has ever been. Sure, you've probably had soul food, but you've never, ever been to this flavor town. So join me as we organize step-by-step, chef-by-chef, a dinner party over a thousand years in the making. Sound like a good time? Somebody say the blessing. All right, welcome back to Sky is Black. We are talking about metamorphosis, metamorphosizzle. You had a chance to participate 
in the Artificial Intelligence Conference done by the Africa Center. And how, did that, how did that go? That was fantastic. The Africa Center in New York City had an event that was streamed on YouTube and on Facebook called AI to the Future, Why African Leaders Matter. And it was great because they had four different leaders. They had three different leaders. It was moderated by one of the, the directors at the Africa Center. And what was cool about it was that they had a number of different people. They had someone who was more of an academic. They had uh, one who was in business. They had uh, one that was more of sort of an activist in sort of the nonprofit space. And I apologize to all of them because I'm going to butcher their names right now. Like I said, feel free to take over the name butchering duties from me. Here it feel comes. free. Knock yourself out. Here it comes. I'm going to. I'm going to butcher the names. And actually, you know what? Maybe I'll try to be kind and be reasonable about the names by using the first names. There was uh, Miss Mutale, who was the founder of AI for the People. Mm-hmm. There was Jackie, who was with Frame. Uh, there was Vukose, who was with the University of Pretoria. Mm-hmm. And it was great because they all had their own perspective on different things. And they were talking uh, at, at length about you know, how AI is, they spent, I thought they had a good definition of what they considered to be AI because we've all, we've talked about this before about, you know, we, there, there are AIs, artificial intelligences in place and in play right now. Mm-hmm. Anytime you go to your phone and you say, Hey, Penelope, which is my euphemism for Alexa, Siri, all of those, you know, is it how 9,000 coming to kill you? No, but it is going to tell you what the sports core is. Not coming to kill you, but sharpening the knife. Perhaps. And, and it was interesting because they all, they all had their own perspective on, on it. And a couple of key takeaways that I took from this. One is something that we've talked about before, and I'm quoting um, Ms. Mutale, which is how do you integrate the humans into the design of these systems? They also touched upon the the whole thing with Google's facial recognition. Mm -hmm. And they were saying something that I thought was really important that we've also talked about on this podcast before, that by having having representation in the design of these technologies is so important. Got to represent. They talked about the Google facial recognition thing. They brought up something that actually happened to me at LAX just a week ago. Really? What happened? Because it's COVID, COVID land, got to wash your hands, right? And most modern bathrooms, especially at airports, have the sensors that, you know, you put your hand underneath them. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you, I I don't know if it happens to you, but I know there's been so many times where I've put my hand underneath them, nothing happens. I don't get the soap or I don't get the water until I flip my hands over. Unbelievable. And so I have to flip my hands over. And some of you might say, isn't that the proper hand-washing position anyway? No, I don't need to have my hand out like I'm receiving a communion wafer to get some water and some, some soap. Right, we can't, we can't <laughs> wash our hands on the black hand side. <laughs> so I need to wash all of my hands. But they use that example. I'm like, yes, that happened to me at LAX just a week ago. Mm-hmm. And it was so annoying. And it was, I mean, I remember being so frustrated. I'm kind of like, really? i got to flip my hand over for the faucet to recognize me? And, but that's where representation matters, you know, because that engineer, I'm sure very innocently said, you know, in his laboratory, oh, well, it works for me. It works for me. Great ship. You know, cause at some point you have to ship a product, right? right. And yet, and if, yet, if that developer, if that engineer had been a person of color, they would have put their hand underneath the faucet. If and it was nothing- a person of color, one would need to put a fist underneath the right on, <laughs> but that would have immediately taken care of it. One of the things I've touched on before is that, you know, some of the, there was a, a problem originally with, once again, going with COVID, with some of the pulse ox monitors, monitoring the amount of oxygen flowing through your body, that it wasn't as accurate because it wasn't originally tested on darker skin. And so having representation across the board and all these things, I mean, Gets you out of the bathroom faster when you're washing your hands. But, and and that's, a, that's a silly example, but it's one of many. And it was interesting because they were talking about part of the challenge of not having representation, especially as you look at AI and all these other technologies, is that it's unexpected, and this is my term of phrase, unexpected emergent behavior due to 
essentially micro decisions. You know, you're putting the sensor on the faucet, you wave your hand under it, works fine, and you move on. Right. It isn't that you're malicious, like, I'm going to make it so black folks have dirty hands. That's not where that's coming from. Right. But it's more that by having a non-diverse engineering team, you'll wave your hand under it, oh, worked fine, and you move on. Whereas if you had, or, oh, let's take everyone in the lab. Everyone, come over, wave your hand under it. And if it worked for everyone in the lab because everyone in the lab was essentially homogenous, then it's a small decision, but it makes an impact. And it was, um, it was Mr. Vukosi, I'm not going to butcher your last name, um, who was talking about this in the form of language translation. You know, you have, that's also an artificial intelligence at work, a very narrow one, yes. translating from language A to language B. And, you know, if you're sort of there in the lab, you know, designing these language systems, these translation systems, you're really kind of doing a score saying, okay, I'm translating from English to French. Did it work? Okay, 90% score. Great. That's pretty good. You know, you're going to continue to iterate and try to make that work better, but then you kind of move on. And I'm sure, you know, as they're doing this, there's hundreds of languages in the world that they're thousands, thousands, thousands of African languages in the world. And so as you're doing it against each of these languages, you're comparing it with a native speaker, hopefully. And so the question is, where do you get the native speakers from for these different languages? And if you're if you don't have access to a native speaker, then you're maybe you're translating to let's say, give me a give me an African language, Wolof, Amharic, Somali. Pick your language: Hausa, Fulani, Zosa, Zulu. I'm not an expert on language translation software. Oh, I am. Did you hear about this? Trevor Noah has a partnership with Duolingo doing. Mm-hmm. Zulu and Zosa through Duolingo. He has partnered with them to do this very thing. Shout out to Trevor Noah. Shout out to Noah. So for me, as someone who doesn't speak those languages, if I was designing a system that would translate from English to tree. Ga or twi. Twi. Popular languages in Ghana. My point is, is that if you don't, if you're not a native speaker of those languages, what might be a logical way of testing it would be to translate from English to Zulu, let's say, and then run the algorithm backwards and see if you come back to the same thing. You know, then you say, okay, well, I'm going to translate from Zulu back to English and see if that was what I was originally saying in English. If you're only a native English speaker, and so you might do that and also get a, a ranking score and say, okay, well, with the examples that I, as a, as a native English speaker, came and I was translating to Zulu and I came back and now yeah, it worked, you know, 70, 80% of the time. Okay, that's good. Check the box. Now we translate in Zulu. The thing is, is that an 80% translation, while it looks good, you know, your marketing says, hey, we have this great translation. But if you're a native Zulu speaker, if you're a native Twi speaker, that's not good enough. And that's where the representation matters because suddenly you have this language. I mean, if you had something that translated from, from French to English and it was only 80%. Metamorphoshizzle. 80% is not functional. You're not going to be functional at, at 80% translation because there's going to be there's going to be errors, misinterpretations, wrong word choices. That's not actually, that system actually isn't working. But if you're not a native speaker, you're not going to really, you're not going to be really have as much skin in the game in that. And that's where the representation matters. So during during this webinar, they were they were talking about how to integrate the humans into the design of these systems, and how some of these micro decisions and these lack of representation, you know, really move the needle uh, on on how well these things are are deployed. And it was really it was a really fascinating conversation. You know, they were talking about how whether or not, especially on the African continent, you know, you see. Large, some of the larger tech players like Google and, 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 and other big tech companies moving there, pu- putting, in some cases, one of the, I think Mr. Vakosi was saying, you know, it's just the business office, which I thought was interesting, the way he described it. For the extraction, yes. But that's what they were talking about. You know, is it an extraction? You know, if you're, my hope, as we mentioned on a previous 
episode of the podcast, my hope would be that these investments by these larger tech firms would lead to a build out of the infrastructure of the brain power there on site in these countries. And and yet their concern was, you know, was it being extractive? Do the do the policymakers, you know, there running the countries know what the implications are of sort of Google coming in like the mothership? And and so and so to me, I, it usually was, in hindsight, and that's too bad. That's too bad because because the thing is is that and and Mutella touched on this in terms of bias and the algorithms and that you know teams that aren't diverse development teams programming teams you know what, if they're not diverse they're not going to see all of us correctly flat out and so one of the things for example uh, Jackie from Frame that's F R A Y M mm-hmm. Frame. There, she was talking about modeling and some of the, the benefits to modeling, uh, data modeling, and, and the... Not the catwalk? <laughs> not the catwalk. Not the supermodel avatar that we talked about? That's a whole different thing. Yeah. Ms. Mutale was talking about how modeling and sort of the extractive nature of it, and she was she's a big advocate for data privacy, and she was talking about how the so-called anonymized data really isn't anonymized, which it isn't. And then Jackie... Crumbs <laughs> everywhere. Jackie from Frame was sort of taking the opposite view, saying, well, no, actually, modeling can help. You know, if, if you're modeling, you know, a, a community in Kenya and they have certain needs in terms of water and resources and such, and you are able to begin to build sort of a generic profile, well, that will then help you, you know, you can do some predictive work to choose how resources would be allocated in another similar area. And so she was showing that side of the coin. And the where they kind of met in the middle was essentially – coming to the idea of, and I'll use this term, I'm making up the term, of data sovereignty. And the idea of the originators of the data should have a say in how that data is used and, and, and how that data is, is, where it's stored, because maybe it shouldn't be extracted to a data center in, in Mountain View. And so Ms. Mutali was talking about, referred to herself as a colonial subject, and she didn't want to become a data colonial subject. And... I thought it was really interesting. A really great webinar. I highly recommend that you check it out. Once again, the Africa Center, AI to the Future, Why African Leaders Matter. Big shout out. So the Africa Center is in New York. And New York, wonderful city. One of the things I'm looking forward to once we're able to travel more freely. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. Concrete jungle where dreams are made of. I love New York. I really do. And it, I, I, and love, I love Alicia Keys, too. Yes, we do. Yes. Shout out to Alicia. Shout out to Alicia Keys. I, lo- I, I love going to New York City, and I'm looking forward to, to getting back there because there's so many wonderful institutions there. There's the Africa mm-hmm. Center and the Schomburg. And one of the places I actually love visiting almost every time I go is I like going to the Met. Yes. And I do believe that we will find ourselves at the Met for the big Met Gala. The Met Gala. I said 2023, but there's some developments now that may make that happen a little sooner. There's a great new exhibit there called the Afrofuturist Period Room. The Wakanda Lounge, I like to call it. I love that. The Wakanda Lounge. We can go hang out there. Yes. I do think that we should do a week-long series from the Wakanda Lounge. But nobody knows what the Wakanda Lounge is because I haven't given you an opportunity to explain what it is. This exhibit is called Before Yesterday We Could Fly, an Afrofuturist period room. This project has roots in the homes of Seneca Village, which only a fragmented history remains. Like other period rooms throughout the museum, this installation is a fabrication of a domestic space that assembles furnishings to create an illusion of authenticity. Unlike these other spaces, this room rejects the notion of one historical period and embraces the African and African diasporic belief that the past, present, and future are interconnected and that informed speculation may uncover many possibilities. This room is powered by Afrofuturism, a transdisciplinary creative mode that centers black imagination, excellence, and self-determination. This construction is only one proposition of what might have been had Seneca Village been allowed to thrive into the present and beyond. That's the description from their website. And this is an exciting project to me. You know, even the title. Can't wait to see it. 
Before Yesterday We Could Fly is inspired by Virginia Hamilton's legendary retelling of the Flying African Tale. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've read to our son. I have it too. You know, some of, the, some of these great books and, and on that, about that flying African tale you know, that celebrates enslaved people's imaginations, being able to fly away, being able to fly to freedom. We are home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, interestingly enough, there was an opinion piece that kind of poo-pooed this. and He did. He did. And I would actually take a little issue with it because he said, you know, the Afrofuturism and the decline of our art museums. And he basically... Poo-pooed. Poo-pooed. We're going to be kind. Dissed and dismissed. Saying that that's really not, you know, that it was, as he, as he called it, a departure from museology. Metaphor uh, chisel, yes. <laughs> you know, museology, and because it's, it sounds like a made-up word, but actually no, it's... I, I'm, it, I'm, I'm teasing. It's a, it's a real word. Just like metamorphosis chisel, yes. Museology is essentially museum studies. It describes the exploration of museums and their role in society and what sort of things they engage in. And museums are not... And, I, and really, he's, this is where I, I would debate with him. In terms of what is the role of museum? Is a museum simply a static collection of artifacts? Can be. Or is it really an, an opportunity for public engagement? Should an opportunity be. for education? Should an, be. Uh, of course, still an, 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 uh, an organization for preservation of the artifacts. But to me, the most interesting ex- exhibitions I've seen at museums have been ones where they've caused you to pause and rethink and say one either showing the through line of history or saying hey we're going to take a look at this through a contemporary lens or we're going to take a look at where something is going to go and as an eternal optimist the whole idea that that a museum is going to take on this idea of not only once again not only preserving history but looking at where things could go or where things as they said this village in Seneca where could it have gone I think is really powerful. And so I, I disagree strongly with, with this guy. And I'm excited about this whole, this whole concept of there being, of uh, taking the different artifacts and rearranging them. You know, we, we talk a lot about Black Panther and we love that movie. And, and we love how that movie brought sort of Afrofuturism is not a new idea. Not even close. And, but then. Shout out to Octavia Butler and so many others. So many others. So not a new idea, but but back in 2018 when Black Panther came out, it brought into sort of the larger pop culture with large this notion of a non-colonialized Africa, uh, a, a, a sort of a fictional what-if scenario. And, and Shout it was, out to Ethiopia. Was not colonized, just FYI. That's true. That's true. But the whole idea that a museum would take that idea and say, okay, where... Where are we going to go? It isn't just a retrospective look at the past. And the thing is, is that as they said in their description, you know, all these period rooms are are inherently artificial. They are. You know, you go you go to the Met and you have a whole Egyptian temple there that was sort of carted off. And so it's inherently an artificial environment. It's inherently a a a fictionalized environment. When you see the you know just to continue on with the Egyptian exhibit for a moment, when you see all these artifacts and they're in these display cases, they're not where they were supposed to be. They're not where they were intended by the creators to be. Mm-hmm. First of all, cause they didn't even know where New York city was, which is a whole different conversation. But so this guy was, 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 was railing against the notion that, that these things aren't authentic. Well, none of them are authentic. They're there to present and, and, hopefully educate you about, you know, fill in the blank. And so... And the Egypt exhibit is ancient Wakanda land. They were very well aware that the world was round back when lots of other parts of the world thought it was flat. So I don't want to to see a distinction in sort of the Wakanda lounge next to the Egyptian exhibit as if those are separate things. But that's the thing, is that it's a through line. It's a through line. And even if it's a through line... We know that it's a through line. Not everyone knows that it's a through line. But that's why I think it's important for it to be in a, at a museum. I think that's where the, 
that I think is the brilliance of having it in a museum is you're able to show that through line. You're able to show that here's this fantastic culture that existed in the past. And even though I haven't seen the exhibition, I'm looking forward to going to New York to see it, but a reimagining of what it could be reimagining it, looking into the future. I mean, on this podcast, we're all about the future and, and, and a future that we all can participate in and a future that we all want to make it to. And so the idea that the Met is, is jumping on board with this, I, I want to celebrate them, and I think that— So do I. That's, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, yeah, they're pushing the boundaries of what a, quote, period room could be, but I think that's always been the case. All the period rooms have always been sort of this imaginary, you know, you'd go and say, oh, we're going to go into Lincoln's log cabin. Well, that was an imagination of it, a, 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 a simulation, a, a fictional account of what it could be. And so I think that it's really, I think it's a fantastic thing. And if you're listening and you're in New York, check it out. It's called Before Yesterday We Could Fly. And it will be there at the Metropolitan Museum through, it doesn't say, it's actually, sorry, it starts November 5th. Right, so it's starting around the corner. And it'll be ongoing. It actually does not have an end date. Wakanda never ends, as we know. Never ends. So shout-outs to curators Sarah Lawrence and Ian Altavir, who are two of the key players who are shepherding this project. We hope that it ends up being all that it can be. And again, not to sound like a broken record, but I do not want to have the Wakanda Lounge seen as distinct from Wakanda North, the Egyptian exhibit. It's a direct through line. The ancient name for Egypt, Kemet, what would we say? Kemet is in English. Ancient Wakanda. Ancient Wakanda. I love it. It's like old England. Ye old Wakanda. <laughs> They're also including Hannah Beachler, right? who was the production designer for Black Panther. And so the space itself, we expect to be fabulous. It's going to be amazing because the sets on that movie were, were absolutely fantastic. And during a prior episode, we were talking about your favorite scene, which was in a museum. I have like 10 favorite scenes in there, but it's, it was the one that I could relate to deepest. I have very strong feelings about that. And, and it was a fantastic scene there with Killmonger there in the museum. But truly, my favorite scene in the movie is the scene just as they're getting ready to do the, the battle at the falls, where they're going down on these rafts and they're all singing and chanting and you see the different, the different tribes, the different factions there in Wakanda all coming together and you know, the, the pumps and the turbines or whatever go to reveal the terraced falls. But you just see all of the, the, the beautiful costumes and the, the formal wear, if you will. Mm -hmm. And that coming together I mean, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Just that scene right there, that moment of just like, we, not only are we home, but we have arrived and we are showing all of our glory. To me, that was just so tremendous. And I also won't butcher his name either. Go but, ahead, please. Take no, it. No, I won't do it. Go ahead, do but, it. But the, but the man who did the soundtrack for that um, did a fantastic job of encompassing all of it. And so that soundtrack combined with the visual to me was just, I could put that on loop and watch that every morning and I'd wake up just a, a happy man. That's the future that we want. We talk, when we talk about Afrofuturism, it isn't just sort of this abstract idea of like, oh, let's all make go to Black Panther or something like that, but more taking the notion that when we, and this is not just true for black people, it's all people. All people. When you begin to have this aspirational vision of the future, you're driving the car, you're steering the car towards that. And so by including one of the, I think, and we won't know for decades from now, but I think that the presence of Black Panther as a movie and having it sort of ascend into the, the pop culture. So, I mean, Afrofuturism has been around in our culture for a long time. Yes. But, but for, for it to sort of become embedded in the larger pop culture, I think moves the needle a little bit and allows us... It can and should, and we hope it will. I think it is. I mean, because people are talking about it. And, and it's still... I mean, even this guy who is poo-pooing it at the museum, it's still a reference point for him. Yeah. And so 
that then allows us all to sort of do a small course correction. Mini pivot. And take us to a future that we all can can be in, that we can all be proud of. We're all hitting, where we're hitting on all those eight cylinders. Amen. And to me, that's that's where I want to go. And I, I'm excited about this exhibit at the, at the Met. I'm excited about the the conversations that the Africa Center is having. Yes. They also have as their tagline, you, can, you know, your home is here or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. And and to me, it's all just an exciting, uh, exciting thing to be a part of. And I hope that we will have more of it. So shout out to the Met. We applaud you. Yes. More please. Yes. Other museums. More please. And that's what really what we're all about here at Skies Black. Is we, we are future-facing conversations. And we are all about engaging your imagination. We are so happy to have you listening to us. Please reach out to us. Give us your ideas. We need your ideas. And we will see you back here on the Tech Deck. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about we, us. Yeah. We. We. We are Sky is Black. You are Sky is Black. We are happy to be having these conversations. We are looking forward to the future. And we are all going to get there. Sky's Lantern. Sky is black. <laughs> <laughs>